The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Revelation, chapter 2, verses 18 through 29. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her onto a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works, and I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart, and I will give to each of you as your works deserve. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works unto the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron, as with earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father." And I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading of His Word. You know, this morning we're, we're turning our attention to the message to the fourth church of the seven churches addressed in Revelation 2 and 3. And you know, one of the benefits of these messages for us is that we can learn from those who have gone before us. You know, it's said that, you know, a smart person learns from the failures of others, right? But even still, the smarter person uh, not only learns from their own failures, but like I said, you know, we want to learn from those who have gone before us, their successes, their failures. And by listening to Jesus' messages to these churches, uh, we can both learn from their successes and failures, things they were doing right, things they were doing wrong. And, uh, you know, we share a common faith with these churches as we share our faith in Christ. And we also share some common challenges as it relates to how we live out our faith within our city. And oftentimes uh, what happens is as we live out our faith in our city, uh, we encounter different sets of values. And when those values uh, collide, collide with the values of Christ, there tends to be some friction at times. And we are faced with these difficult decisions. And we are tempted to compromise our loyalty to Christ, right? So we we encounter the friction and we have a choice to make. Will we remain loyal to Christ and follow His way? Or will we follow this way of uh, of the world or this way that is contrary to the way of God? And so as we look at the, the successes and the failures of the church in Thyatira, you know, let us seek to learn. Let us be learners. And uh, that we may, too, remain faithful uh, to Christ when those challenges come. Now, as with these other messages, these messages, you know, all these messages here to the seven churches, they follow a a similar pattern. And so as with the other messages we've already looked at, uh, this message can be outlined with the six P's. And the first P 
is the place the church is located. And the church is in a city called Thyatira. Now here's an interesting uh, biblical trivia fact for you. If, you've ever, if you ever find yourself playing biblical trivia and uh, this comes up. The message, Jesus' message to the church in Thyatira is the longest message of the seven messages. And yet, the city of Thyatira is the smallest of the seven cities. It's a little fun fact there for you. And although the, you know, this city of Thyatira it was small, it really began to thrive once the uh, Roman Empire developed. Because Thyatira was located along a road that connected Pergamum to Sardis. And so Sardis and Pergamum were larger cities, but they had this road that connected them, where you know, a popular trade route. And so uh, Thyatira was situated right on, on the way there, on the road. And uh, that really uh, helped Thyatira become a place of a, a lot of commercial uh, production and trade. And, um, and historians point out that in this very productive commercial city, there were a lot of these trade guilds in Thyatira. And a trade guild is what we would call like a trade union, right? And so you had this trade union where workers in a common field would come together and organize themselves in order to develop their skill, uh, to work on you know, wages, compensation, as well as workers' conditions. I mean, we know how trade unions uh, act in our own country, but this was similar back then. Uh, what they would call these trade guilds. And so Thyatira had several of these you know, little trade guilds that specialized in working with wool, leather, linen, bronze, clothing, baking, and pottery. And so it was a very commercial center there along the road. People could stop in and buy several types of goods. You know, there's only one other place in the New Testament where the city of Thyatira is mentioned. And it's in the book of Acts, in Acts 16, 14. You know, Paul arrived in Philippi. And he's sharing the gospel with those in Philippi. And he had heard that there were some people that gathered down by the river on the Sabbath day to pray. And so he decides to make his way down to the river on the Sabbath day to you know, see what's going on and to gather with these people who were praying. And so he, Paul gathers with those around the river there or by the river and he begins to teach. And then we read in Acts 16, 14 that one who heard us was a woman named Lydia. From the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what Paul, or what was said by Paul. So we see here in this passage that that Lydia was most likely involved with fabric uh, or the clothing business. And most likely she, she gained her skills from her hometown in Thyatira because of the commercial center that it was. And so this, this bustling commercial stop along one of the main roads is where we find this church that receives one of the messages from Jesus. So Thyatira is the place. The second P is the praise that Jesus gives the church. Look at verse 19. Jesus says, I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. You know, Thyatira, in these messages from Jesus, Thyatira was the first church that was praised for their love. You know, they possessed the very thing that the Ephesian church lacked, and that is their love for God and one another. 
And Jesus says that their love for God and for one another really produced service. It made its way out from their lives into the lives of other people through their service. And, uh, and this is what we see, that love compels us to serve, right? And we know that we love because God loved us. And so as we understand the love of God, it produces this, this uh, disposition in us to begin to serve others and meet the needs of other people. And we know from John 3, 16, that you know, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so, so that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have eternal life. So God demonstrates His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, which shows us something about the nature of love. Love gives, and it gives for the good of others. And Jesus praises the church there in Thyatira for their love, that they were a giving church. They loved other people. They were seeking the good of others. And they were compelled uh, to serve. And this type of love was on display there in Thyatira. And I wonder, think about your own life. Is this type of love displayed in your life? I mean, do you see yourself giving of yourself for the good of other people? Or do you see yourself taking from others for the good of yourself? You know, what, what pattern are you seeing in your own life? Because the more we allow the love of God to penetrate our minds. And when I'm talking about the love of God, I'm talking about the love of God demonstrated in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The more we understand what God did for us in Christ, the more we are then compelled to both love God and love other people. That's the effect of the gospel. And so as we know Christ and we understand His love for us, then we are compelled to love others, which uh, produces service. We begin to serve the needs of others. And this is what was happening in Thyatira. And I hope this is what's happening in our church as well. They were praised for their love. And they were also praised for their faith or their faithfulness, which produced endurance. You know, their, their loyalty to Jesus enabled them to persevere in the faith even when they faced difficulty. Their, their loyalty to Christ, their faith in Christ enabled them to hold fast to the faith even when times got tough. And it must have been a great encouragement uh, to this church to hear Jesus say, you know, not only do I see this love and service and faithfulness, this faith, this endurance, but your latter works are greater than your first ones. In other words, you're growing. I mean, we're seeing growth happen. Isn't that exciting when you see that? Isn't that exciting to even look at your own life and realize, you know, I'm not the person I was five years ago because of the grace of God? I mean, that's what they're seeing here. Your latter works are greater than your former. In other words, you are growing in grace. And Jesus praises the church for that. But there is a third P, and the third P is the problem that needs to be addressed. Now, before I read the problem, I want you to imagine something, okay? Now, this letter was sent to the church in Thyatira. And let's just imagine for a moment that the church in Thyatira was like our church. About maybe, let's say it was even the same size as our church here in Augusta. Okay? And so this letter that was written to this church was meant to be read aloud in the church. Now, imagine that there was a certain woman in our church that claimed that she had received a special word from God. As to how we are to live out our faith in our city. Okay? She's received a special word from God. 
and she's teaching that to others. And it's about how we interact with our city and how we live out our faith. Okay, so people are beginning to attend her Sunday school class. You know, they're learning more about what she's teaching and beginning to really embrace it. Now, imagine that's the scenario. And let's just imagine this is happening in our own church. This is hypothetical, by the way. Okay, so don't start thinking, who's he talking about? No, hypothetical. I'm just trying to put you in the situation. Okay, so just imagine. Okay, we gathered now. We've gathered up. We've heard that we, we had this letter from the Apostle John. And Jesus has a message for the church. And so we've gathered up and we want to hear this letter. We want to hear the message. And then the pastor reads these words in verse 20. But I have this against you, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, just imagine, you're sitting there, you know everybody in the church, and Jesus is saying, there's somebody here that is leading my people astray. Now, what are the odds that you would know that person? <laughs> Pretty good. Now, it's meant, you, you are meant to, be, to know that person because he's calling her out. He's saying, there's someone among you that you are leading my people astray. And we're going to talk more about how she was doing that. In just a minute. But you would, you would know exactly who Jesus was talking about. And the person that he was confronting was the person who was doing to the church what Jezebel did to the people of Israel in the Old Testament. And this is a, a common uh, uh, symbolism that we see in these letters. You know, last week we looked at the teachings of Balaam, and, which is the Old Testament character who was leading the people of Israel astray. Now we have this person Jezebel uh, that is a reference back to an Old Testament character uh, who was leading the people of Israel astray. Jezebel was the wife of King Ahab and it was through Jezebel's influence that the people of Israel, now listen to this, what they did is they added the worship of Baal to the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob through her influence. And of course she did some other things too that were pretty pretty bad. Um, But what we see is that just like Jezebel's influence came from within Israel because she was married to the king, in a similar way, this new Jezebel's influence is coming from within the church. So most likely this person wasn't someone outside the church, but it was someone inside the church that was leading the church astray. So now the big question is, well, how was this woman causing the Christians to compromise their loyalty to Jesus. Because, you know, in in Ephesus, in Smyrna, and in Pergamum, we saw one of the biggest points of friction for those Christians was emperor worship, right? Caesar worship. And that was really coming to a head in these big cities. That was a big issue for them. And was causing that point of friction. But in Thyatira, as you read through this message to the church in Thyatira, that doesn't seem to be a main issue. They're not, they don't seem to be experiencing the persecution some of these other cities were experiencing due to emperor worship. So what was the challenge? What was this new Jezebel leading? How was, how was she leading people astray? Now you need to remember again that Thyatira was a commercial city with several trade guilds. 
And in order for your business to be profitable, you needed to be connected to one of these trade guilds. So, for example, like in Augusta, let's say there were some big companies in Augusta that were hiring, but they would only hire if you were a member of a certain trade union. So if you were, if you were not part of this trade union, you could not get a job with the company. Well, that's kind of how it was in Thyatira. If you wanted to be a successful business person, then you needed to be a part of these trade guilds. To not be a part of these guilds was uh, to suffer economically. So you may think, uh, well, you know, What's the big deal? What's the big deal with being part of a trade guild? Just join the trade guild, why don't you? And have a successful business. Well, in Thyatira, many believe that membership in these trade guilds required participation in certain religious ceremonies because each trade was connected to some god. Because, you know, Rome was a very pluralistic society in that they had many gods uh, and as you remember from maybe the previous messages, if you were a Roman citizen, uh, you could worship whatever God you wanted to worship as long as you also uh, said Caesar is Lord and you didn't disrupt the community. And then you could worship whatever you wanted to. So there are lots of different gods and different styles of worship. And so you had these trade guilds that were associated with certain gods and participated in certain religious ceremonies. And so to be a member of the trade guild, to be a part of a trade guild, required uh, some type of participation in religious ceremonies. So just think of it like this. If you had like a membership meeting in these trade guilds, there was always a religious aspect to it that you would participate in. And that's just how the setting was in Thyatira. And so each gathering with this membership of a trade guild was infused with some type of religious practice. And the challenge that the Christian faced was whether he should join a trade guild and participate in the religious ceremony or refuse to join the guild and suffer economically. You know, what, what should he do? And many believe that this new Jezebel was teaching that God told her that it would be okay to participate in these religious ceremonies to these false gods as long as you continue to worship Jesus as well. So many believe this was the, the, the friction point. That Jezebel was saying, okay, I heard a word from God, and He said it's okay to join these guilds, participate in whatever they're doing, but you know, as long as you just keep worshiping Jesus as well. And uh, you could probably even hear right now in your mind uh, some of how these Christians may justify participation in these trade guilds, right? I mean, you could probably think about some of the things they would give, some reasons they would give to uh, participate in these guilds. They may have been saying things like this. Well, we know these gods aren't real, right? There's only one true God, so these gods aren't even real. So what does it really matter that I go and participate in this feast or whatever it is? Uh, you know, it's no big deal. Or maybe they said something like this. Uh, you know, we know God wants us, to, wants us to provide for our families. We know He wants us to work and provide for our families. But if I'm not part of this trade guild, how am I going to do that? I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. Or they may say something like this. Maybe take a little more spiritual route and say, well, if we don't join the trade guild, I mean, who's going to be a witness for Jesus here? You know? I don't know what all they were doing to maybe try to reason through this, but perhaps those were some of the thoughts they, they had. But when we look at the message, we see Jesus says, this person is leading them astray. 
he confronts this new Jezebel and her teaching and brings into light that her teaching is not increasing the influence of the gospel, but rather increasing idolatry. So what she's teaching is actually in contrast to what the gospel actually stands for. So we believe that's, that, that is the friction point in Thyatira. Now you may be saying, well, Ron, you know, man, to live in Thyatira, that would have been rough. That would have been a difficult situation. You know, you had to make some big choices there. You had to choose between, you know, your financial well-being or being true to Christ. You had to choose between building a successful business or building a successful church. You know, you had to make that choice. They were really facing a challenge. And you may say, well, Ron, you know, I am so glad that we don't have to deal with that today. I'm so glad that our jobs don't require us to worship other gods and participate in these religious ceremonies like they did back then. Right? And I agree that, you know, our employers, those who that you may work for, they probably don't require you to attend some religious feasts, you know, and burn incense to some god or say Caesar is Lord or do something like that. You're right. They probably don't manifest it in that way. However, I do believe there is an idol that some employers ask you to bow down to in order to continue your employment. And it's the idol of profit. You know, it's the idol of making money no matter what the cost. You know, as followers of Jesus, our primary concern cannot be profit. Now, making a profit can be a good thing. And having a successful business can be a blessing to the community, right? And that there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, but as followers of Jesus, our primary concern is not profit, but it is to glorify God in our work. And so we must not allow the drive for profit to be the determining factor for how we do what we do. And what I'm saying is that Jesus is very concerned with why we do what we do and how we do what we do. And so our faith in Christ must govern all we do, not only on Sundays, but also from Mondays through Saturdays. I mean, he's very concerned with not only how we conduct ourselves in this building, but in every building in our city, right? And so let me just give you one example um, of a business. And, and what I want to highlight here is that, you know, some employers, you may face this at times, where they're, they're demanding something of you or asking something of you that runs contradictory to God's Word. And you may face that. And when you face those challenges, that is a similar friction point that the Christians in Thyatira were facing. And you have a decision to make. And I want, I want to share with one example of a business that seems to be doing a good job in both valuing hard work and profit, but also not demanding that Christians compromise their faith. And one business that seems to do this well is Chick-fil-A. A lot of, a lot of you like Chick-fil-A, but guess what? You can't do anything about that today because they're closed. They're closed on Sunday. And there's songs that have been written about this, mourning the fact that Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And uh, I know I even mention it, it makes you start craving chicken. But as many, as, you know, as many of you know, Chick-fil-A is closed on Sundays. And there's two main reasons why they are closed on Sundays. They're closed on Sundays in order to give their workers rest 
and an opportunity to worship according to their faith. So it's to give them both rest and worship. But what it also demonstrates is that they are not primarily concerned or motivated by making money. Now, clearly they want to make money and they want to be successful in doing that. And they want to open more stores and employ more people, make a lot of chicken. Okay, that's fine. But when you look at their business model, I think you'd have to say, I don't see how they could be primarily motivated by making money. And this is why I say that. You know, it's estimated that Chick-fil-A forfeits over $47 million per year of potential revenue by being closed on Sundays. So just being closed one day a week, they're basically saying, we're going to say no to making potentially $47 million this year, uh, which is obviously a lot of money. So if this business was purely about making profit, then they'd be open every time they thought they could make money, right? And so because they're closed on Sunday, you have to say, well, that seems to not be the highest value of this company. And so they seem to be doing a good job with both valuing hard work, having a successful, successful business, um, making profit, but at the same time uh, not compromising with uh, especially the faith of those who worship the Lord Christ. Now this is an example of a fast food chain. And I know out of all of you, I I know of only one of you that works for Chick-fil-A. And he's related to me. So I don't know about the rest of you. But uh, there are other businesses as well. And what I'm saying is it's not simply just being closed on Sunday. What I'm saying is it's working in a way unto the Lord. It's not bowing down to the idol of profit no matter what the cost. And no matter whether you're in fast food or some other business or education or health care or law, or whatever skills you may be uh, exercising in your work, you're going to have to deal with this friction point. You know, what is your ultimate motivation? Uh, what is the, the price tag of your faith? Is there a price that if it is paid, you're willing to compromise? That's what they were facing Thyatira in a little different situation. But when you get down to the heart of the matter, that's what it is. Is there a price tag to, the, to your loyalty to Christ. How much profit would it take for you to bend your values, compromise your standards, and place profit above the person of Christ? You know, Jesus is very concerned with how we spend our time, how we work. And if you're being drawn away by the idol of profit, then you need to hear this fourth P. The fourth P is prescription for how to deal with the problem. And Jesus says this about this new Jezebel in verse 21. He says, I gave her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Now, many believe that sexual immorality may be literally sexual immorality, but also you know, sexual immorality, adultery in the New Testament and Old Testament also refers to Cheating on God. It's when we worship something other than God. It's spiritual adultery. And so many believe that not only there may have been some physical sexual morality going on in these religious ceremonies uh, that these guilds were hosting, but even the bigger problem is that we were committing spiritual adultery on 
on God. You know, we're, we're cheating on Him with some other idol. And Jesus says the answer is to repent. And even, He says, even this new Jezebel was given an opportunity to repent, but she refused. And the imp- implication here is that the prescription for the problem is repentance. And so if you find yourself being drawn away and starting to do questionable things for your work, Jesus says you need to repent. You need to stop compromising your faith because God wants us to be known for our faith, not for our finances. You know, our faith, our relationship with Him needs to be primary. Jesus wants us to be a people of love, faith, service, endurance. You know, those things that they, He praised the church for. And so we need to repent. And that may even mean, you know, for some of you, I mean, this could possibly come, come to the place where you may have to find another job. I mean, if they're unwilling to allow you to represent Christ in how you work, if they're trying to force you to do something that compromises your walk with the Lord and God's Word, you may need to find another job. You know, I had a friend that was working for a uh, marketing firm. And uh, his boss asked him to work on this marketing campaign for a business. But this business produced something that he believed was contrary to God's word. And so he did not want to work on that campaign and market this product to the public that he thought was immoral. And so he had a choice to make. You know, does he just put his head down and bring home the paycheck? Or does he have a conversation with his boss and say, you know what? Um, I just can't in good conscience market this product. I can't work on this campaign to market this product. And those are the type of choices we're going to have to make. And my friend went to his boss and he had that conversation with him and just said, I just can't work on that campaign. But we're all going to have choices like that. Some are going to be more weighty than others, right? But we'll all face those choices nonetheless. And Jesus says that if we continue to put him in second place, then... He will not allow it to go unchecked. And we see the fifth P we see in the passage is penalty if the problem continues. Look at verses 22 and 23. Jesus says, Behold, I will throw her onto a sick sick bed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And I will strike her children dead, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches mind and heart. And I will give each of you according to your works. You know, our children, those who follow her, embrace her teachings. So Jesus is the one, he says in Revelation 1 as well as this passage, he's the one who has eyes like a flame of fire. So his eyes, his sight, you know, penetrates to the heart. He knows my heart. He knows your heart. And he knows if we have a repentant heart or if we have one that refuses to repent. And he also has these feet like burnished bronze, it says. And this commercial city would obviously understand what Jesus was talking about here, that he has the ability, the strength to implement the judgment that he promises. And he would not leave those, who, he would not leave those unpunished who seek to lead his people astray. But lastly, we come to the 6P, which is the promise to those who persevere in the faith. Look at verses 24 through 29. Jesus says, But to, but to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching... Who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan. To you I say, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end. To him I will give authority over the nations. And he will rule them with a rod of iron. 
as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father. And I will give him the morning star. And he who has ear has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so the promise to those who hold fast to Jesus is that we will share in the authority that God has given Jesus and we will participate in the setting up of the new heaven and new earth. And Jesus says that we will receive the morning star. And elsewhere in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to as the morning star. So many believe what he's saying here is that you will receive Christ himself, that we will be with him forever. And so working working the way Jesus wants you to work may not lead to maximum profit in this life, right? I mean, it, it may not. Just like if you didn't join the trade guild in Thyatira, you may not have a successful business. And that may even be true here at times, that we may not maximize our profit because we're walking with the Lord. But if we persevere in the faith, the profit that we will receive in eternity will make it all make all the profits in this life pale in comparison. And so, you know, let us not simply be known for our profit, but let us be known for our love, you know, our service, our, our faith, our endurance. And like Jesus says here, let us let us hold fast what we have until he comes again. Let us pray together. Father, we are aware that these challenges are uh, difficult to face at times, that we are put in situations that require us to make a decision whether we will remain faithful to you or whether we will compromise our faith in order to bring home a paycheck. Lord, thank, I'm thankful that we have those who have gone before us, like those in Thyatira. There were, se- there were several there in that church that did not uh, compromise. But they were full of love, service, faith, and endurance. They held fast to what you gave them until the end. They persevered in the faith. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to endure. Help us to hold fast to your truths, no matter what the cost. Or would you give us the, the grace we need, the strength we need, the resolve we need to make those decisions. And make them in a respectful, loving way. And even as we make those decisions, help us to represent you, Lord. And God, would you provide for your people? Would you give us ways to provide for our families um, and move forward economically, even as we walk with you and seek to represent you, God? And we are so grateful that the promise of profit in eternity is so much greater than the promise of profit today. And we're so thankful as well that you give us the morning star. You give us yourself. That we will be with you forever if we simply persevere in, in the faith. And we thank you for this promise in Jesus' name. Amen.